0: Coming up on this episode of AARP's Perfect Scam.
1: Alex, we have seen that your IP address have been compromised from other countries in the last two days. Alex, the thing is that we need the help of a computer so we can rectify this kind of issue. So is that possible you can access a computer, please? Yeah, I'm standing right in front, sitting right in front of it. Just to be clear, are you guys from Apple? Yes, yeah, I'm a certified technician to support Apple.
0: Imagine turning the tables on a scammer, showing up in their workplace, confronting them face-to-face, a lot of us have probably had the thought, feeling so frustrated by a stranger leaving cryptic messages asking for account numbers and warning of late payments, what would it be like to meet them in person? What would you say? Today, we're going to share the story of another podcast host who did just that. But before we get into all that, I'm here with AARP's Fraudwatch Network ambassador. Frank, this story focuses on a call center in India. We know they can be pretty much anywhere in the world, but why are so many call centers located in India? Well, first of
2: all, call centers uh, in India are popular even with legitimate companies because it's so cheap to hire people to come to work. Um, Fortunately, that's a country with a lot of poor people, and some of them are very educated, but they can't find a job. So uh, they're a great source of using for a call center to talk on the phone. They speak English very well, and uh, they're smart enough to put across whatever message it is they need to put across – But unfortunately, sometimes they're selling you something that's non-existent or a fraud. And sometimes they're actually working to do something good.
0: Are there other parts of the globe where call centers are springing up or or are we chasing call centers here and there? Uh, No, there's call centers like in
2: Hong Kong, uh, Malaysia, uh, places like that. uh, They're all over the world, including right here in the United States. Florida is a great place for a lot of these boiler rooms and call centers. New York. Uh, so it's just wherever there's people and somebody has an idea and you get some phones and you make some calls or receive some calls.
0: And I assume the U.S. doesn't really have jurisdiction over a call center, say, in India, or how does that No, work? that's it, the problem. That's the problem
2: in general today with crime is, is it's become so global. So the criminal committing the crime, like in that case, is in India, thousands of miles away. Now, we do, through Interpol, have relationships. The FBI has 126 uh, field agent offices around the world. So they actually have an office in Beijing. They have an office in uh, Italy. They have offices, but they're all at the embassy. And that FBI agent is attache to the embassy um obviously he works with the local police in that city to have a relationship that's why he or she is the agent there so what how that's supposed to work is if we feel there's a problem going on in india that agent at the embassy in india uh can then go with the chief of police or whoever his contact or relationship with with the indian authorities Uh, to try and see if they can either stop it, um, arrest the person, or do something like that. But it's very difficult uh, to get that work because there's so many things going on in the world. And, of course, the India police are only worried about what's happening to people in India, not to people in the
0: United States, and and vice versa. But we try to uh, do that. Well, so let's shift into this story. And as we were doing research for for the show, one of our producers came across this other podcast and, and a really amazing story. Alex Goldman is the host of the Reply All podcast. And the episode we discovered follows Alex on an odyssey from the Reply All studios to the streets of India. And it starts with just a phone call. But you'll soon learn that this phone scammer is making a terrible mistake. First of all, thanks for joining us. It's really it's great to have you on. My pleasure. Tell us when you first realized this might be a topic for your podcast. Were you thinking about doing an episode on call centers or scams?
1: Oh, absolutely not. Um, I was working on another episode. We were in the studio recording. I got a 1-800 and I got a phone call from 1-800 number and it was just a, and it, 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 when I picked it up, there was sort of a robocall that said, your iCloud may be compromised Please don't – we recommend you don't use your computer until you call this number. Please call blah, blah, blah. And it was a 1-800 number. And um, right away it set off alarm bells for me um, because it sounded – because I don't think that Apple usually makes phone calls like that. But um, I called this 1-800 number and I got a gentleman who identified himself as Alex and um, – and he told me that their servers, that Apple servers had detected my account being accessed from other parts of the world.
0: And at this point, you had you were I'm trying to remember back to that first episode. Uh, but, but you were recording as you when you called back, right?
1: Yeah. Um, it, since it seemed suspicious to me and I was sitting in the studio with a friend with one of my producers, um, we decided we decided why not record it. Um, and so we got a guy who told us, you know told me all this stuff. And I told him, hey, I think this is a scam. I've looked up your 1-800 number. I can't find it on the internet anywhere. And then he proceeded to get very strange.
0: <laughs> so you start to engage with him and 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 say, hey, this seems like a scam. And then can you reveal like, I, I don't want to reveal everything, like I said, but can you tell us, it's kind of a chilling moment when he says to you, we are what he says.
1: Uh, yeah. So I say to him, who are you? At one point, I say, I, I, I've, I've looked up this 1-800 number. I don't see any information uh, tying this number to Apple. Who are you? And he says, "We are anonymous. We are legend. Expect us. We will be demolishing all your social identities. All of my, my, me personally, yes. or like have broken some laws on the internet. Yeah, on some porn sites, displaying some
2: sort of Charlie porn.
1: And then he proceeds to tell me that. My social media accounts have been compromised by the, this company. Um, that he's sending the police to come after me and arrest me for child pornography they've planted on my computer. Um, and then he was going to leak my personal details online. Um, all kinds of sort of explicitly threatening stuff,
0: yeah. I, and I was riding along in my car listening to this, and up until that moment, it was a it was a Interesting idea. We're engaged in this topic, obviously. And then when he says we are anonymous, I, I really, actually, did get a little chill. Tell us what was going through your mind at, at that moment, and when he started saying all this
1: stuff. Well, it was funny because I was in the I was in the uh, studio with again with Damiano Marchetti, one of our producers, and he had his hand over his mouth, and he was like horrified. He was totally terrified. Um, I have the advantage of having spent. Uh, five years in my previous life as a network administrator. So I have a certain amount of uh, understanding of computers that I don't think sort of the general population does. And I knew what he was saying was just kind of not true. And I found myself less threatened by him and more curious, you know, what are these people doing? What is their scam? What What are they trying to sell me? And how does their scam work? So I just started asking him questions. Um, and... Surprisingly, since I wasn't cowed by his threats, he seemed um, somewhat open to talk about them.
0: And then he sort of got in – I mean, well, not just sort of. You guys got into sort of a back and forth about uh, what he was trying to do and then about Americans in general and maybe his views of why he felt comfortable doing what he does.
1: Yeah, I mean I think – I spoke to a lot of people at this particular call center because I started calling them back – Uh, You know, probably once a day for about three months. Um, And I think the general sentiment, uh, I think the general sentiment, or at least the sentiment as it was explained to me by the people who work there, is, um, you know, the average, I think the average one person person single household income in, in New Delhi, which is a very wealthy part or a very urban part of of India, is like thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars. Like it's a very small amount. These are people who are living on very little money and view America, I'm not sure how incorrectly, as a place where people have, you know, incomes that <laughs> incomes to to burn. Um, and so they don't feel at I think that the person that I talked to the first time didn't have a ton of qualms about doing this kind of scam. Don't you feel bad at all about scamming people who don't know anything about computers? No, I what? don't. Why not? Why would I? Because... You guys have a lot of money. That's the reason we spend. Who, who is you guys? Who are you talking about? Like, the people we scam. But how do you know how much money I have? We judge them. Like, we make a judgment. Like, somebody with the name Richard... Or with having a very good name, we say, like, they all—they must be having a good amount of money. Wait, people – the amount of money someone has isn't based on what their name is. At the same time, that same desperation, that same lack of income that uh, affects these people often means that um, the people who are actually working the phones in these call centers end up doing it because they have no other way to make a living. Um, they are – sometimes tricked into getting these jobs. They're often intimidated by their supervisors into staying in these jobs. Um, and I think it's a pretty tough situation all around.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing you start to get from from this episode and the, and the follow-up episode when I'll reveal, if that's right, you actually go to India and meet the first guy you talk to, Alex. But you get a sense of like, okay, there there's something going on here. And there's a reason why this is such a prevalent thing going on. There's people that are making a little bit of money and and maybe it's a way to sort of, you know, get food on the table.
1: Well, you know, I think that the situation in, in I think it's similar to a lot of people who come from relatively poor communities in the United States and they move to um a they move to a big city and they get a job or people who immigrate f- uh, from other countries into the United States and get a job there's a there's a situation where people leave the village they come from in India go to the big city and send money back to keep their families afloat and um, the call center industry in India is massive it's massive there's thousands of call centers in the country
0: and is that where is that where most of the call centers are that, that, that we're getting you, you believe in terms of what you've been able to learn?
1: You know, I've been looking into this, and until recently that was the case, Um, the Philippines has actually also developed a very, very robust call center uh, industry. So my understanding is that maybe this year or last year, the Philippines surpassed India in terms of the number of people doing call center work. And honestly, part of that, according to articles that I've read, is because the call center industry in India is being hollowed out by scammers. I mean, the way that these call centers work, it, uh, the way that most call centers work, is they start up, they find American companies who need a su- support line, either tech support or phone support, um, and they say, "Hey, we'll do that work for you. will we'll, you can outsource that work to us." And the scam, the scam culture in India has become so prevalent that it is making people not want to use Indian call centers because uh, for the fear that if someone picks up the phone and hears an, Indi- uh, an Indian accent, they're just going to hang up.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's like the cliche of call centers is it you it's an Indian accent and, and right. you assume it's somebody scamming you.
1: Right. So, um, you know, I mean, the people that we spoke to that worked at this call center, they were making 15,000 rupees a month. I think that was the base salary. And let me just... Fifteen thousand rupees. I I'm sorry. I I remembered this much better when I was in India. That's two hundred and thirty four dollars a month. So not a lot.
0: So let's go back. You started making calls every day, um, and 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 you uh, above anyone. You you kind of were trying to reach and get back in touch with, or talking again to uh, this guy Alex Kamal. Right is his name, as you come to learn.
1: Yes. Is right. this the Alex Martin that I talked to a while back? This is Alex Goldman. <laughs> yeah, that's the same Alex Martin, So You remember me? How's it going, man? I've been trying to get in touch with you for weeks. Mm-hmm. So what exactly you want now? Well, I just wanted to know how you were doing, first of all. Second of all... Yeah, I'm very good.
0: And tell us about what the scam was. What what did you learn about what they wanted to do? How are they going to get money from you? And then what happened as time went by with with your relationship, if I can call it that, with Kamal?
1: So the scam, and this is actually a scam that uh, is – this is sort of the – this is the standard tech support scam. Um, I've seen it across a number of call centers. I spoke to someone who does – internet fraud work for Microsoft, and I spoke to the Federal Trade Commission. They both describe this exactly the same. The way that it works is they call someone and say, we're from Microsoft, we're from Apple, we're from Norton Antivirus. We detected something concerning on your computer. Can we remotely connect to your computer? And when you say yes, they'll log into your computer, they will go into some... Some part of your computer that looks – that is unfamiliar to most people. A part that – a part of your computer that is generally used by technicians to diagnose problems and they will enter commands that are very standard diagnostic commands um, and then will say, oh, this looks terrible. It looks as though you have a virus.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those screens that pops up when you're getting like tech support, and all of a sudden, it, you're, it's like, wow, this is like the inside of my computer that I'm kind of scared by and don't understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there. I mean, there's a there is a part of Windows called Event Viewer, which the normal person has no reason to ever ever go into, and technicians go into it to um, diagnose the computer and what a, anytime a program crashes or anytime a part of a program can't load the event the event viewer puts up a thing that says error or warning um, but when a person who's trying to defraud you goes into it they say do you see all these errors and warnings that's because people are remotely accessing your computer and they're trying to steal things from you that is certainly not the case um, likewise the default, on both Macs and PCs is that there is a firewall program on your computer that is turned off by default. And when these people go onto your computer, they say, um, oh, do you see this? Do you see how the firewall is turned off? Um, that's uh, That's because rogue actors or malware or viruses have gotten into your computer and shut it off, and now you're vulnerable, even though that's not the case. So they give people the feeling that they are vulnerable, And then they charge them anywhere between about $150 to $400 to fix this non-existent problem Um, and oftentimes promise a year of support on the back end. They'll say, you know, pay us $300. We'll give you a year of technical support. But then when you call back, they generally don't help you. The numbers that they give you tend to uh, go up and down quite a bit. Um, Generally, you're just paying for them to fix a non-existent problem. And the
0: thing is that you make clear in your episode and anybody who's become a victim of something like this is that uh, they're actually really, really good at what they do. And they're, and they're good at, at, at making something seem legitimate.
1: Absolutely. I mean the reason that, that this tech support scam is sort of uniform across many, many different call centers that have no relationship with one another is that it works. This call center scam works. These people um, – have figured out a way to make a lot of money off of this, so um, it's just preying on people's insecurities about technology, and we're made to feel insecure about technology all the time. How often do you hear stories about? Um, how often do you hear stories about Sony or? microsoft or skype or whatever getting their information hacked and having all your usernames and passwords dumped on the internet how many times do you hear stories about financial institutions or credit card companies they get hacked by hackers and suddenly all of your information is out there you're being contacted by the company and being told to change your password i mean there are legitimate fears about this kind of thing and these call center scams prey on those legitimate fears
0: So eventually you decided and, and, you know, I I clicked on the next episode and learned that you were going into India. When did you decide to make the trip to India to, to find Kamal or find this call center? Tell us about that decision and what you were feeling at that point.
1: So I continued to call back over and over again to this call center. And eventually I reached the person who was like the floor manager of the company, this guy named Kamal. And Kamal... Essentially said to me, you need to stop harassing the employees of my company. If you want to talk to someone, talk to me and I'll be happy to answer your questions. I mean, to a point. He wasn't particularly forthcoming, but he answered some of my questions. Um, And again, this is just I, I, I didn't really know precisely what I was looking for. I wanted to understand the ecosystem of this call center, how they're making money, what their relationship is, if any, with people in the United States, um, how many people work there, how much money they're making. And so I started calling Kamal back pretty regularly. And he told me, this call center is not quite making as much money as it used to we are seeing it our business kind of dry up i get the impression this call center is going to close pretty soon um and i as i continued to call him he said hey listen i quit my job at this company i have moved back to my hometown which is a village called Chandigarh, which is about five hours north of new delhi and um i He did say a couple times, you know, if you think about – if you're ever thinking about coming to India, look me up and we can go look. We can go, you know, do some sightseeing. We can hang out. And I'm not sure how seriously um, he meant that invitation. I'm not sure if he ever expected me to take him up on it. Um, I I don't know what he – why he made that invitation or what he expected from me. But I said to him – Okay, listen. I'm coming with one of my producers in a couple in a couple weeks, so um, let's make some time to hang out. And so we did.
0: And you, and you get to India, and uh, again, you have a little trouble getting in touch with Kamal at first. And you're also part of your goal was to try to find this call center, right? Did you have a real, like, did you know what you were going to do when you got there other than like meet Kamal and maybe do some sightseeing and hopefully dig into the story a little bit more?
1: Well, you know, we had spoken to a number of people who were former employees of this company. And when we got to India, we tried to reach out to them and they all totally ghosted me. Um, I, I didn't manage to make, i managed to make contact with a few of them. And then when I tried to actually say, let's meet up, they would just vanish. So, um, my my goal was primarily to see what I could figure out in India. Um partially with the work of my my producer Damiano Marchetti and partially with the help of um a reporter from the Hindustan Times named Snigda Punam, who we had spoken to in the United States before we got there. And um I mean we were a little rudderless trying to figure out uh how to how to how to figure out where this call center was and, you know, meet up with Kamal. But um, we just sort of forged ahead and tried to do all the reporting we could while we were there.
0: You meet Kamal's boss, who you weren't necessarily expecting to meet. You describe it as sort of like meeting the godfather. Did you ever feel like you might be in real danger? I started to get the sense that the people at the top of the organization were actually pretty dangerous.
1: Um, It's tough to say. What I I can tell you is – there what i can tell you is that it is um common for employees of these companies if they step out of line if they um communicate with police if they accuse the if they accuse the uh the owners of anything to get roughed up to get attacked physically by the by the by their employers um and there was a very clear pattern of sort of soft intimidation going on. Um, it, was a, it was very weird because not only was there a cultural gap and to some degree a, a language gap, but we were also talking past each other in a weird way. We were trying to get at what was going on with this call center, um, all the sort of lingering questions we had about it. And we were trying to soft pedal that – those questions to the people who ran the call center. And the people who ran the call center, the owner and Kamal, the floor manager, were trying to um, in their polite and um, solicitous way figure out what exactly we were up to because the thing about – journalism in the United States is it's not the same as journalism in a lot of other countries. There are a lot of countries where when you say I'm a journalist and I have questions about you, um, what actually, what that actually means is um, I have collected information about you and I want you to pay me not to publish it. So I, I think that at certain points they thought that I was trying to blackmail them. That I was trying to maybe get into business with them. They were very unclear about who I was and what I was up to. And at points, I was very unclear about that about them as well.
0: And the crazy thing is, is that uh, throughout the experience, it seems like they're about to close or the call center is closed or they're moving on or they're working in construction now. There's a fair amount of like subterfuge going on constantly.
1: I mean one of the things that made this especially difficult as a journalist is that I had to listen to these guys tell me stories, just weave stories about their business and try and pick out the truth out of – I would say that one out of every ten things they said was true. Um, and so I had to try and figure out what was actually the real stuff and what was falsehoods, what was meant to confuse me, what was meant to intimidate me. Um, and it was really difficult. It was really difficult to report on because the two people with intimate knowledge of the company that I managed to speak to were consummate liars, basically. You've lied to me this whole time. Hardly matters. I lie to everyone. doesn't make any difference. You're not a god. What do you want? What, what? next? Why you can meet? Tell me where you can meet now. What? I don't want to meet you right now. I, you, guys know, you guys know where I stand and you lie to me. So why, why should I meet you right now? You're not going to tell me the truth.
2: So what, what exactly you
1: want from me? That's what I'm asking you. I want you to admit that you guys are scammers and that you steal money from people. No, that is not going to happen. Don't worry, that is not going to happen. Then I think that we don't have anything else to talk about.
0: Eventually, uh, you you find this elusive call center in India. Can you talk to us about and, – and, and there there was a whole lot involved about getting there, and and I I almost hate to reveal that you find it, but but you get there. What was that like finally? You got to the outside of the door, but you never got inside, right?
1: Yes, we didn't. But Snigda, the reporter from the Hindustan Times, she um, is a genius, and the she actually called them and said, hi, I am – interested in interviewing with your company. Can I come in for an interview? So she managed to get past the front door and described, you know, a very, very big call center, just a calling floor, 50 something people. And, um, there were floor managers like Kamal, Kamal was not there, um, who were sort of pacing up and down the call, the, the calling floor, um, which, uh, I was learned from authorities they call the boiler room. So there were there were people pacing up and down the boiler room, making sure that people were staying on task, not interacting with their coworkers, not doing anything untoward. And again, these these people who were doing this pacing were pretty muscular guys who were physically intimidating. And uh Snigda told us that this is not at all uncommon, that this is the kind of kind of the way that the that the people who work at the call centers are treated. And likewise, former employees told us that they were absolutely not allowed to speak to one another unless they were on break. And if they did, they would get fired.
0: I mean, this business, do you see it as outright criminal activity or is it somewhere in between that and something legit? Are they doing any sort of tech support anywhere?
1: From what I understand, a lot of these companies do primarily legitimate call center work. And then maybe they have a team of people – in the back room who are running these scams to sort of pick up extra or easier cash. So it, you know, it's tough. And likewise, a lot of these call centers, you know, they have a team that does the call center work, and then they have a team that processes the payment. And the team that processes the payment has no idea that what they're processing payments for are falsehoods. They think that they're just working in a tech support call center. So um, the question of whether it's there's some of it that's legit is really tough to answer. Um, Regardless, people are kept in the dark um, for much longer than you would imagine they would be. Um, And people are also being intimidated into continuing this behavior, even though they they may not necessarily want to.
0: You mentioned this feeling towards the end of the second episode, but there's a a real feeling of being sort of a sitting duck in today's digital world. Our information is out there. Scammers are a phone call away. Uh, There's sort of something really unsettling about getting these calls once, twice, or more every week. It seems like as we research for our show and listening to yours that it's it's almost happening more than ever. Do you think there's like a real anxiety for many of us that accompanies phone scams like this?
1: It feels a lot of times... You're in a situation where there are people who are contacting you who have knowledge about you, um, and sometimes an incredible volume of knowledge about me. My first name is Michael. Um, I have always gone by my middle name, Alex. And when I spoke to Alex Martin, uh, AKA Kamal, the first time, I said, Hi, my name's Alex. And he said, No, your name is Michael Goldman. And it felt intimidating and kind of infuriating that someone who's trying to steal money from me knows all this information about me. And these guys are very hard to find I mean it wasn't easy for me to figure out the name of the call center or where they were Um, it took a lot of calling back over and over again so um, I think that this whole project was just to sort of you know invert that dynamic a little bit to be a person who to be the person who had who suddenly knew everything about them Um, and in this case I think, due to a certain amount of luck and a certain amount of persistence, I managed to do that. But there are plenty of call centers out there who are a lot smarter than the folks at this call center um, who manage to cover their tracks better. Um, smaller call centers that can shut down and pop back up very easily under different names. Um, so this was just uh, this was just me trying to make one tiny step. To, in the direction of just kind of taking back that power a little
0: bit. I mean, what can you tell somebody who's sitting at their computer and not computer savvy? Maybe they email, maybe they do a you know, check a few websites or, or they do some banking, uh, but a weird screen pops up. Uh, as you said before, be skeptical of phone calls, but anything on your computer, equally so, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, one, one very interesting thing I actually learned uh, as part of this story is that um, in the United States, the primary victims of call center scams are um, 25 to 34. Oh, that's um, interesting. And the reason is because they are not receiving phone calls like I did, but because they are they are getting pop-up messages on their computer that say, warning, your computer may be infected. Please call this number. Um, and as millennials or younger people, they're just sort of, trained to believe what their computer tells them to believe (laughs) your computer says something you listen to it um what i can say is no major phone no major computer company will ever call you to tell you you have a virus so if someone calls you and says you might have a virus please call us to fix this or if hey we detected you have a virus they're scamming you you can hang up likewise if you ever receive a robocall where you pick up and it's a it's a computerized voice talking, those are against the law. They're against the law. It's against the law to receive a phone call where the first voice you hear is a robot or a recording. So you can hang up on those right away as well. If you see a pop-up ad that has a telephone number in it telling you to call a telephone number because of a virus, that is also a scam. You will never ever... There, No company will ever contact you that way. So you don't have to worry about those. And I think that actually the most perilous place for people who may be less computer savvy or may use their computers primarily for email is email. Because if someone has compromised your iCloud or if there's an issue with your iCloud or it's being accessed from somewhere else, Apple will send you an email. so Or Microsoft will send you an email. So... The place to remain most vigilant, I think, is in your mailbox. Just make sure before you answer anything or open any attachments or call any phone numbers related to them. First of all, don't call any phone numbers because, again, Apple and Microsoft will not send you an email saying, call this number because you have a virus. But before you click on anything or download anything or open any applications, um, just Google the email address. Make extra sure that the person who's contacting you is actually Apple um, or Microsoft or whomever. And, you know, just when you're getting a communication from a corporation that says there's something wrong with your computer or something wrong with your account, be extra vigilant that you're not being taken in.
0: Hey, where can people find your podcast and how can they listen?
1: Uh, you can find it at replyall.soy, replyall.soy, or you can find it on any podcast app, iTunes, Podcatcher, whatever. Um, and you can find me and my co-host BJ Vote on Twitter if that's the if you're into that kind of thing. All right.
0: I'm back with Frank Abagnale. And uh, Frank, it's a pretty amazing story. Uh, one of the th- Many things that Alex goes into in this story is the fact that these call centers in India, and I'm guessing in other parts of the world, including here in the U.S., they can pop up and disappear and then pop up somewhere else. I'd always caution people, too, to
2: leave those things to the police and investigators who are properly trained and equipped to handle those situations. Don't try to take the law in your own hands. Don't try to go think you're going to be the special investigator that finds them out. Because that can become very dangerous, too. Some of these people go through no, uh, no uh, lens to protect themselves and who they are and what they're doing.
0: Right. And we hear um, Alex, uh, who makes this, this rather extraordinary trip to other parts of the world, uh, put himself in situations or, or find himself in situations that could have been dangerous. So certainly the AARP and Alex himself will say, don't do what I did. Absolutely. The AARP Fraud Watch Network, Ambassador Frank Abagnale, thanks again for being here with us. Thanks, Will. If you or someone you know has been a victim of a scam, please call AARP's Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. All right, many thanks to our producers, Julie Goetz and Brooke Ellis, our audio engineer, Julio Gonzalez, and of course, my co-host, Frank Abagnale. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcast or any of the many fine podcast outlets you choose to visit. For The Perfect Scam, I'm Will Johnson.
1: Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult, or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit AmeriCourt.gov slash your moment today.